Thank you for pressing play on your device, and welcome to another episode of Over Underrated with your host Fran. Babs is in Belgium somewhere, so I am doing my intro for this episode, where we discuss the strokes and the hold steady. If you're a fan of indie rock and roll, not easy for me to say, we have two Brit pop episodes and a group love episode that you may want to check out. Of course, we would invite you to subscribe and leave us a, a lovely review. We have a great guest joining us today. We have Adam Larter from the Weirdos Collective. He put together two playlists and we discuss those in the episode you're about to hear. So, the strokes, the whole study, are they over or underrated? Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> Was it over underrated? So welcome to another episode of Over Underrated. How are we doing today, Fran? And what have you been listening to? I am fine. And I have been listening to Tom Petty uh, this week. Oh, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, the anniversary of him passing and he's got a new documentary out as well next week at cinema, I believe. So that's why I've been having a dive into the world of Mr. Tom Petty. Well, I've been listening to Depeche Mode, which happens quite frequently. I've been listening to Barrel of a Gun on repeat. But in terms of kind of new music that I've discovered, I've been listening to a little bit of Holly Golightly. Do you know her? No. So she, I knew her from guesting on um, a song on Elephant with the White Stripes. And she has like a very distinctive voice. And she came across somewhere else and I went on a bit of a deep dive. And and yeah, I really, I really enjoyed her. Any track you recommend to our listeners? Um, from the name alone, Satan is his name. Beautiful. And we're not <laughs> alone today. We have a guest. We have comedian and writer, Adam Malata. Hello, Adam. Hi. So what have you been listening to this week, Adam? Uh, I don't know. Um, a few things. The new Griff Reese album, um, oh. singer of Super Fairy Animals. His new solo album is very enjoyable. I always think I get the pronunciation of that right. It might be gruff. It's spelled gruff, but I think it's griff. I think it's, yeah, griff. Um, that's a very enjoyable listen. And it sort of feels very modern, but a little bit Crosby, Stills and Nash sort of vibe about it. It's sort of good in the same way that Fleet Foxes kind of rip it off, but in a nice way. Um, and uh, John Cale, just been like, that's, that's a continual thing for 2021, is enjoying John Cale and definitely got, not, not, not today's discussion at all, but got to the point where I think John Cale is the better member of the Velvet Underground, more so than Lou Reed or Nico. Oh. Once again, coming coming with some topics for future episodes. You know, Velvet Underground Showdown, Lou Reed versus. I don't think in, in a malicious way, and I have nothing against Lou Reed. But you go, ah, oh, when you listen to John Cale's solo stuff. There we go, throwing down the gauntlet <laughs> for for more further listening. Um, but today, Adam, you've chosen two bands that fall within the theme we've decided: U.S. indie noughties invasion. They're the two bands that we're discussing today. So. What is your overrated choice? Uh, my overrated choice is a band called The Strokes. Overrated. That's their name. Um, they're from America. 
Uh, via a million other places as well, because they're like half something, half something else. I don't yeah. think it, actually any one of them is fully American, because even Casablanca's is half. I mean, isn't, isn't that most Americans to be fair? Yeah. yeah. Um, wow, the Strokes. Yeah. Controversial for a lot of people. So tell yeah. us why? Why the Strokes? You know what? And this feels like backpedaling already, but it, 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 I still strongly believe they're overrated. But I also believe they are wholeheartedly overrated but also in weirdly enjoy them so they're a band that i own a, a couple of albums of and uh, have been known at many a sort of grungy indie nights to have sort of danced to but that doesn't mean i think they're i've never thought they're brilliant um and i don't think they are i suppose that's the definition of overrated deserving quite of like the fandom they have or sort of festival headline spots i don't think they are they're not as great a band that sort of history should recognize them as like a pillar of art quite like is strangely represented in like the amount of records that they've sold or that people would find them an influence um i suppose that's my position is that you know they're they are they are just a band that is okay they are kind of like they they get they they do the job. Um, there was something that that got in my mind and I couldn't 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 unstick it. Is that they are like the Jack Whitehall of like rock music, whereby there's no they 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 know what they're doing and they do it quite well. But you can't it bugs you like you can't help feel like if they didn't have the look, uh, would they be half as successful? The look and the celebrity parents like if they didn't have that. You know, it's it's privilege rock, really, is that's what you're listening to, is like the enjoyable, danceable sound of white privilege is like the strokes in a nutshell. Um, that, but, you know, that said, fine, fine. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to hate a band to pick them as overrated. And you yeah. made a very nuanced argument for them. What age were you when the strokes came out? And I, I asked just because... You know, I was 13, 14, so prime inception of Hello New Rock era uh, for, for the teenage years. So, I, I, you know, I will say up front, I, I was surprised by this choice uh, and I might <laughs> push back on a few things. But I, I, I think one of the reasons I like them so much is because I was that age. Yeah, I was like a late teenager uh, when Is This It came out and, um, you know, and therefore went into university with like last night being the song that was heard in every sort of nightclub night out um regardless of you know and it's one of those weird things um it would you could go to sort of like standard student disco where they're both playing like peter andre's mysterious girl and they're playing like the theme from Baywatch and other sort of like student dross. And then they would play like four indie songs, like quote unquote indie songs, Blur's song two, Arctic Monkeys, I Bet You Look Good in the Dance Floor, Kaiser Chiefs, I Predict a Riot. And then the other one would be Last Night by The Strokes. And it's like, you know, that would be like enough that would be like tolerated by people who liked pop music and R&B they'd be fine that you could play those for like rock songs. And as like sort of cardigan wearing indie dweeb I was at the time, you know, I was very excited to hear those four songs on, on a 
non-indie night out when I would have to be dragged to some sort of big generic nightclub. Um, so yeah, I was like right in like the target for like the sort of person who would like the Strokes and probably why I own a couple of records because I just bought all of that indie, all of the Franz Ferdinand and Strokes and it all came in like one package, one NME package. Like you will like all of these things. Um, so I think probably like, again, like I wasn't, I was never, if anyone asked me at that age, like what bands do you like? Like I was excited by all of the other stuff, but like Strokes was still something I owned. I never say I was a Strokes fan. And I think probably only looking back and then is one of those things you go re-listen to it. And, and ironically, you listen, re-listen to Is This It? thinking about the fuss that was made of it at the time. And, and the only thought that comes to mind is, yeah, is this it? Is that, is that what we were so excited about? It just sounds like television. This is like a not as good version of television. So uh, Babs, I should probably ask you, what's your first impressions of The Strokes? So yeah, I, I am a Strokes fan. And I, I came into this quite conflicted because I do think, and I've written this, people do wang on about them a lot. Um, I'm a huge fan of their first two albums and I think they're perfect. Um, I don't think they've made a good album since then, but they still have made a bunch of good songs. So there's, for me, there's plenty of standouts. I will totally agree with you on the privileged rock and like basically how they were the inspiration for hipsters, basically. Um, and I found an article, I don't know if you've seen this, Adam, but Franz Nikolai wrote an article, uh, on Slate about Meet Me in the Bathroom, you know, the oral oh, history right. of that time. So I was like, aha, a link. Um, and, and he wrote about it and he said, um, the, well, he said that she said, the influence of the Strokes was real. The argument that they really did create the blueprint for the international hipster look of the noughties with help from the Vice Media Empire is defensible. And good looking neo garage bands named some variation of the plural nouns proliferated in New York, London and beyond for years. I, I do think that they're good but are they as good as every journalist was saying you know probably not music wise I think it was the whole package I mean also given who our underrated bands is where they're very lyrical um I have literally never paid attention to the strokes lyrics at all um <laughs> and having you know looking into it now I'm like yeah this is really about nothing um but you know if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that Fran and I don't care too much about lyrics. So it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, but for me, yeah, they weren't my top band from the scene. You know, it was, I was more of a hives, vines, white stripes gal. Um, but I, I do still really, really enjoy their first two albums that, you know, I know every track and can listen without skipping, uh, even if I don't like the latest stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit that on the nail there is like, you know, they are that like headline band of so many things that are going on at the same time. And are they the person that made that movement or are they, they just like the nice shortcut for it? It's the same like Sex Pistols get that for punk. Sex Pistols are the definitive punk band. Mm -hmm. Are they the best punk band? Not by a long shot. Listen to episode six, season one, where we will agree with that <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's really easy for people to remember the Sex Pistols. It's really people... Mm -hmm easy for people to remember you know pretty vacant it's like that is a nice shortcut to punk you know are strokes the best guitar band of the indie revival are they even the first band of the indie revival did i would i ever have put a strokes poster on my wall no i i did and i because i'm an idiot uh 
cut out f- the five individual members of the strokes and put them above my door because they are unfortunately wow. very good looking. What can I say? Like I was a teenage girl. It worked on me. But yeah, Fran, did that work on you? Reve <laughs> alongside the band members were five babs at the same time. Uh, oh, five was before. Uh. I was over five by then because yeah, my I was also, let's say, a music snob rather than an, an indie dweeb from the ages of like 13 to probably about 21 and then got over myself. But I, before then, was really, really into the boy band five who were the best boy band ever. But oh, they, the thing about the Strokes as well is like, even thinking about them as people, and these are someone who's just like so part of culturally all of the stuff I found really exciting. And I've seen all of their faces and all their music videos and all of that. But like the rest of the band members beyond Julian and, you know, old Albert Guitar Boy, like they just, they're some blur. That I wouldn't be able to pick them out out of like, just pick five blokes out of Topshop and like go, are these members of the Strokes? And I go, oh, I'm not sure. I think so. Maybe. Um, they, oh, yeah. Has one of them, maybe one of them's got a tattoo. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you did not stare into Nick Valencia's beautiful blue eyes as long as I did. One of them's called Nick. Okay. That, I mean, that, <laughs> that, that. Oh, two, two are called Nick to confuse things a little bit. Are they? Nick go. and Nikolai, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I would say that Nick is uh, beautiful. I think for um, Jack Whitehall, would be loved to be compared to the Strokes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, if, if, if you expect a band possibly also to do some, like, corporate partnership with, like, Land Rover, there are some bands of that era, like, just be like nah no way you know they still wanted to be like a rock group like the libertines like you know which is I suppose you you put you put the libertines in strokes for some reason right next to each other because they're both like indie dance law fillers and festival bands of that time and sort of laddie um but yeah strokes may, maybe it's because the lyrics don't mean anything but i have no idea on what their principles approach or what they find interesting. I think they, they like denim. Is that enough to go off of? Um, <laughs> so the bewitched. Um, I do remember <laughs> Julian was in a very big Converse advert back in the noughties. Well, I was going to say there was that song with Julian Casablanca's Santa Gold and Pharrell mm. Williams, My Drive Through, which is part of Converse, which is really good. And I looked into that deeper. There's also, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Paloma Faith, Graham Coxon, and um, Bill, oh, what's his name from the Coral? They oh, also yeah. did a Converse song, which was really good. And you can't find it on the streaming platforms. Like you have to go onto YouTube. So I'm like, you know what? If uh, if these corporate sponsorships actually produce good music, fair enough. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Coxon, that his name being thrown into that mix makes me feel quite sad. Like I'm sure. What, what was his deal for that? Was he trying to push at the time that? Yeah him dragged into that yeah i think uh graham you say does say yes to most things but um when i so when strokes came out i was still in that post brit pop hangover of trying to push away anything american so i think that i wasn't happy with some more americans taking over my airways we had limp biscuit we had lincoln park and now we had these strokes and also they're doing indie and we do indie like we hadn't had an American American indie band for a long, wow, long this time. Is, this is why fucking Brexit. Happened. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, <laughs> indie bands out, of, and yeah, and yeah. they often became big in England and often you know, sold it around the world. And um, yeah, the, I think the hype killed it for me because I thought hard to explain last night with decent singles. 
I downloaded the album illegally because obviously Napster was a thing. And um, it wasn't matter. It wasn't anything for me. I could not understand why they were the biggest band in England. And it hurt a little bit. And I think by the time the second album came out, I, you know, I got used to the strokes and I didn't hate them because they were so in your face. And I I think I preferred at the time the second album because it wasn't, this is the best album you've ever heard. This is the best album I've ever heard by, by then. So I could maybe listen to it with uh, not objection or ears. And then um, I saw from live 2004 um, with the Pixies playing just beforehand. Oh. And, <laughs> wow. and uh, the Pixies were terrible. And I'm a fan of the Pixies. No. Um, yeah. Uh, but what happens? Well, I think sometimes that Francis uh, Black screaming rolls, uh, is it, what, what's the guitar player called? Carlos? Son? Joey. Yeah. Joey. Or Joey Sant, yeah, was on, on a stool doing some wah wah, was not what the V Festival audience wanted. <laughs> I don't think it was the best place to, to, to have a comeback tour at the V Festival. And and the strokes after the Pixies was amazing because I had struggled through the Pixies set so badly that when the strokes came on and played all the songs I knew and the audience was jumping up and down, it was a beautiful thing. So I then became more of a fan after seeing them live. But um, I think they are overrated because it's been almost 20 years since they did anything amazing. And they're still seen as a headline act. But why? I mean, like the Libertines, why are they hailed? 20 years later, they haven't done anything decent really in a long, long time, but still looked upon as being this amazing rock band. But why? Yeah. I, th- I think maybe because rock isn't as prominent these days, right? Like, Is This It is now 20 years old. Um, and like they ushered in the last, you know, rock is mainstream era, I would, I would argue, just after Britpop. Let's just um, give a pause to all of the people who all just went, oh, when you said, is this it? It's 20 oh, yeah. years old. Yeah. <laughs> that was me earlier today when I realised, oh yeah, shit, 2001 was 20 years ago. Fuck. Um, Give them a moment. Um, I wanted to pick up on something you are saying there about the British-American thing. And it reminded me, and this is an absolute sidetrack, but you said that's cool. So like Stephen Fry, here's where the sidetrack's starting. Stephen Fry once said this, and it's on YouTube, about uh, the difference between British and American comedy. And he said that um, um, American comedy heroes, if you look at things like National Lampoon or whatever, are always the people who are like the, the hero in the joke. They always embarrass someone else and they always have the biggest dick in the room and they're like there to go how clever they are. And he talked about this scene from Animal House where John Belushi smashes someone's guitar. And the punchline is he looks at the camera and grins and goes, oh, what about that schmuck? I got one up on him. And like that person is lauded as like the comedy hero and they're the person you relate to. Like they want there's something in American society where they want to be proud of the winner. They want to be proud of the person who's the coolest in the scenario. They want to be proud of the person who's like outsmarted someone you know and that's that sort of like drive within their culture whereas like uh british culture is built around failure and like owning your failure and british comedy heroes are always people of lower status who always got shat on by from a great height because the examples of you know like the black adders of the world are the the comedy heroes and the people we look to who always get things wrong and things just end up worse and worse and worse for them. You know, it's the same, but 
Basil Fawlty or like Del Boy. They're always low status. Yeah, bottom. Always Exactly. And there's something, and I am bringing it back around. There's something about the strokes where it's like you listen to their music and you go, these people are, I can't relate to them. They're, they, they turn up at parties. Their music gives off this vibe lyrically or otherwise where they're the sort of people who turn up to a party and everyone thinks, hey guys, you're so cool. And, you know, like, and the stories are just of them, like all of the stories in their songs are like about like the cool women they're dancing with, the parties they go to and like the good times they have. And that's not what I'm coming to rock and roll to, you know, I'm coming to rock and roll and everything from like the Beatles to Tom Waits and all of the Kate Bush and everyone in between is kind of like, something's wrong with me. I'm weird. I'm messed up and I'm nuts, you know, and that's, that's what you want in alternative music. And I was like, yeah, but these guys are the jocks at school. They probably were the bullies. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I feel. When you know I... that they met at a boarding school in Switzerland. Oh my God. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say, so go, going back to have, so have either of you read, I don't think you have found meet me in the bathroom, no, no. the, the oral history. I, okay. So it's written from the perspective of a journalist who was friends with Nick Valencia. I think they worked together in a restaurant that gave me a bit more respect for the strokes because they put in a lot more work than I thought they did, uh, from, 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 from doing that. Yeah. Because I think I presumed exactly that and know like the way it came together and how they managed to get, you know, like slots in different parts around New York. Like it was, you know, it was still a bit of a hustle. And I think everyone was surprised how big they got, especially when they went to the UK and an enemy came on came on as darlings. So I can understand that that's how they come across. But it was it was interesting to see like how actually that wasn't their kind of origins. And I will say from that book, Paul Banks from Interpol is a fucking nutcase. If you think the Strokes are like you know cool, he is absolutely bloody mad, and I I wouldn't have guessed it. But anyway, but Interpol um, are the interesting version of the Strokes. Like if anyone's like well, sitting there. Are, Looking Joy Division at, modern, I think. I, I, I yeah, like yeah, yeah. Modern, but if but... someone's got like two CDs in their hand, you can see like there's antics and there's is this it, and they're like right next to each other on the shelf. And so I'm gonna like, no, that's almost exactly the same, but just with a, <laughs> quite a few more ideas, with way more, more care given. The thesaurus as and well, for sure. The argument I haven't even given against the Strokes, which there's probably people screaming at this, going like, you know, the musical people and people have said it better than I have, they are notorious for ripping off a lot of famous tracks. Like their biggest hit last night sounds almost exactly the same as American Girl by Tom Petty. It's almost like exactly the same as Tom American Girl. Um, and there are loads, other people have gone into this in much more detail than I have. I can't play a single instrument, but you know, it's very difficult to pin too many original ideas to the strokes so i i don't doubt babs that they put in a lot of work but it wasn't in the songwriting um <laughs> so we go into songs while we're talking about the songs let's do it so what's the first track on your anti-strokes playlist adam <laughs> so um taken for a full one what is it about don't know but two, most importantly the the thing about taken for a fool is this is from angles which is uh for many people like the best thing they've done i think this is a general opinion the best thing they've done since like the the early hits and um if you said that was a, a b-side to is this it or 
room on fire, you'd go, yeah, okay, I believe that. It feels like they have come musically, lyrically, in any way, no further than where they started at all. And some people love bands for that reason. Like some people love like Iron Maiden because like a new Iron Maiden album comes out and you know what you're getting with that. But like they're in the world of sort of like Indian Americana um, and you know, like there's loads of cool stuff going on. Why are you listening to this? And it just sort of starts, it finishes. I'm not bothered. I do remember Taken for a Fool. I have listened to that a good few times, but yeah. I mean, Angles is nice. It's like, for me, you do need some music that you can just pop in on the office or in a cafe or whatever. And it's like there. Um, and there's not, you want an album that isn't suddenly going to have like one really crazy track on it, you know, that, that spooks everyone. And, and you don't get that with the Strokes. Is, is this it or any Strokes album you can put on in your shop? It was on in my shop. I was working in HMV, so obviously yeah. we were we put it on before it was released on the Sunday. Oh wow! But you know, Sunday night when we do the charts for the, the Monday morning, and uh, we all loved under under color under cover of darkness. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all thought yeah. that was a, a great comeback single, and then we're waiting for the rest. And yeah, it's got maybe I think three songs I can remember. I was shocked to find that this was a single. This was the second single <laughs> of the album. Yeah. I had no recollection of that happening. And also, fun fact, the B-side is featuring Elvis Costello doing a duet to the song. Really? Wow. And you can see footage of, of them on tour in America and Elvis to come along and sing in the chorus. So there you go. That gives it a little bit more edge. <laughs> I'm not like, yeah. I mean, late 70s, it does, that is the era they've taken from the most so it makes sense they were influenced by yeah, you know, the, the attractions yeah, I I guess. yeah it's, the chorus is it's is decent i think the verse is kind of throwaway but the drum sound sounds like me beatboxing it's awful it's like like really the yeah. best they've got so yeah i i can see oh. why you've chosen it as a yeah i mean i, I guess what is this maybe what 10 years since the debut and it wasn't the the big comeback because it had been what six years since the last album, and it was like, oh right, oh, <laughs> they still haven't delivered again. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come in with some different <laughs> opinions. <laughs> so I don't like much from this album, but I do think this is one of the good ones. And for me, it does make sense that it was a single. But yeah, it was actually quite nice to come back to this. And by the way, Adam, just to say, I think I think your choices are mostly insane. <laughs> for the strokes and this is one wait insane insane in what way as in you've picked great songs uh oh, right so okay. so yeah uh so when this coming i was like well, what's he talking about like i i uh i i normally because i like it so much and because i think it is a bit more of a departure listen to machu picchu from the album yeah at the beginning because that that is very original and the the guitar sounds and the the way it works the percussion yeah it sounds beautiful. like I could do that one. Look at this little tropical this is a, vibe this is a, to a it. A positive yeah. thing, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Another party for them. <laughs> um, but I, I really like the dueling guitars. It's a strong bass. I like how Julian's voice moves between being quite low and then falsetto, and I really like the synths. But I will agree that what the fuck is it about? Here's a little extract for you guys. 
I know everyone goes any damn place they choose. And I hope everyone well on the toxic radio, a tourist in the ghetto, not afraid of anything except death and anything else that could maybe hurt them. Oh, yeah. There's something about their lyrics where it feels like he's trying to remember them most of the time. <laughs> like he's like, it's almost like a question like, sister. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, but actually it was I, I hadn't really because I wasn't so interested in this album. I hadn't done much research on it. But it does sound like this was quite a difficult album to make because I think they wrote parts or they wrote most of the songs together. But Casablancas was quite disengaged in the studio. So Nick Valencia said, like, oh, I'm not going to do the next album if we make it like this because he'd just not show up on certain days and I'd have to do guitar by myself with the engineer. So maybe that is why this album is so fractured. And, and I, I would say it is like. Taken for a Fool does sound a bit like Machu Picchu, but there are others that yeah are very different. And yeah, I, I would agree that there's not so much good i mean since the first album was basically them drunk in a recording studio by themselves Mm -hmm. doing it in like one take they have moved on Mm -hmm. a lot since then and i guess by then julian was a solo artist which is maybe why he had changed this uh ways of working he got me to working by himself far from with a band over underrated And I think the next one I've got, oh, if we go off your order there, is Juicebox. Mm-hmm. So the most memorable thing about this one for me is that David Cross is in the music video. And um, what's interesting is like first two albums produced great songs for indie DJs to put on and, and on the dance floor. You've got like, you know, Last Night and Someday. And actually the indie club I used to go to would play New York City Cops. And then the second album... You've got Reptilia, uh, and there was another one that was... 1251. 1251. There you go. You've got two good dance floor songs there. Third album comes out. Lead single, really upbeat. Have you ever tried dancing to Juicebox? (laughs) I mean, it's essentially, as many people pointed out, the Batman theme... I put down the Scooby-Doo chase sequence. You can you can get the Batman thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the <laughs> Batman juice box. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. I don't know. It just feels like that. It was like they got that and it was fine. But it doesn't. It's it is a little bit irritating as a song, but not in a way that like pushes you. In a way that feels like, yeah, the the chorus. Why won't you come over here? We've got a city to love. I mean, it's just classic. I think that's what he says. That's like classic yeah. strokes. And again, on the voice, he's got this thing about him that's like him and James Murphy from LCD Sound System, who I do like. Both of them sound like they constantly got a cold. They're not really giving as much effort as they could do to it, or like that's just how they've decided to sing. Yeah, he seems. He always seems to like blur the verse, and suddenly. By yeah. the time the chorus comes, oh, I better start singing properly by now. Um, the, the video is quite interesting. It does seem to be a lot of people puking up and then a, a gay sex scene in the, in the toilet. This is quite <laughs> strange for 2005. I'm for the strokes. I was kind of uh, happy when this came out because it wasn't last night. It was a new strokes. It felt different. I guess they, they moved on from the original producer by now and had a bit more of a, a vaster sound. Um, I love Albert's guitar in this. And also, I think uh, Babs is a bass player. I always kind of thought that 
being the bass player in the Strokes was like the most cushy job you could ever have. But it's basically like dun 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 dun. So I thought by this time, oh, we give him something to do. So they gave him a more interesting bass line for Nikolai to work on. But I think Babs is about to say that I'm wrong. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, I I would disagree. Like I I can play. Well, is on is this it? The do 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 do. That's oh yeah, pure Nikolai. That's a good baseline. That's a really good baseline. Yeah, and a fun one to play as well. Um, it's it's definitely true that like you know, the Strokes have these two guitarists that work very well together in a in a very in a very different. And I I think you know I think this is an absolute banger of a song. And unlike Fran, uh, even though now you've talked about Batman and Scooby-Doo, I think I am going <laughs> to interpret it a bit differently. Um, uh, I think the, the bass and guitar driving it at the beginning are frankly sexy. And um, I think the different sections work really well together and they kind of shouldn't. So the oh damn good years where you've got the guitar and bass kind of matching each other and driving. And then you've got this melodic, I think it's Nick Valencia playing in the background. And then the cold, you're so cold and how it, it builds at the end. Um, yeah, no, I, I I really, really love this song. So I, I'm afraid I couldn't possibly say it's overrated, but plenty of others on First impression of first Impressions of Earth are. I think, yeah, this was the first album to disappoint me because um, I think there are songs on here that are so bloody boring, um, but this isn't one of them. Yeah, it, it does have a feeling of, and there was loads of stuff about, like one of the most common criticisms of Strokes is like the second album, which people liked is nowhere near as good as the first album that sounds like exactly the same so I think they went third album it's got to be different you know mm-hmm. I think that yeah. what's strange is that if this it was not a number one in any country but this was their first UK number one this is always the way isn't it you... yeah they built their fan base by then right so yeah. um... you always think that you know but... this is this it was like you know the best setting up and but yeah it was but I will also say what's interesting about you 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 talking about they had to move away they actually initially set it out to record it with Gordon Raphael who produced the first two albums and by the way for the second album they were meant to do it with, with Nigel Godrich mm-hmm. of Radiohead and it, it didn't fit didn't work out so for this one they were meant to do it with Gordon Raphael who then introduced them to another producer called David Kahn and actually it was collaborating with their old producer that didn't work and and then it was just I, no, I think mostly produced by by Khan, if that's how you pronounce it. So interesting that they actually still were going for the same producer. And it was interesting to hear Nigel Godrich being like, look, me and Julian Casablanca are just the same. He had his vision, I had mine, and there was just absolutely no compromise. And that's why they had to go back. Uh, but yeah, clearly for the third album, that wasn't enough. And and yeah, Khan was the, the guy they're guiding. The first him. album was going to be re-recorded by uh, Gil Norton, the Free Fighters guy. And then the Strokes oh. had to then fight against it to go back to the guy who did the EP. So yeah, I think the record labels are always trying to force them to have like a, a more of a radio-friendly um, sound. And I think the, the first album is only on nine tracks, the entire album, which like by those days of Pro Tools, the average album would have 64 tracks, which is why it sounds so <laughs> tiny and compressed compared to other rock albums of, of that generation. But um, Adam, speaking of the first album, your fur track is it's called take it or leave it um giving really giving you two great options there and um if asked by the strokes i would say probably leave it in, in this instance um i think again you know i know you've said neither of you are too worried about the lyrics but this is this oh, is this is an insult anthem i didn't realize uh, that's how i interpreted it 
take it I for me like this is like those lyrics that were like the first draft and then no one else was too like worried about like that they didn't have a chat about the lyrics it went in and was recorded and it was done and um it, yeah it's quite irritating to listen to I think there's something like in like I I I just hear in my head that snippet of like towards the end of it where he's really repeating the take it or leave it thing like a lot. Um, and uh, again, I, you can hear like the television influence a lot here. Just, it's just, it is an irritating song and lazy. Also, it goes on. It's, it's short, it? but it feels like five minutes. Like it drags, I think. It's, it's, yeah. Even when when the, when the first album came out, I was kind of thought this was a, a a crap closer for the for the album. To be fair, it's hard work. It's hard work. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think I think is this it? You know, being up there in those like top albums lists is weird because it's a sort of like EP that got out of hand. You know, I think like you could do it as a four track EP. It'd be fine. I think like a lot of big albums of the noughties, like Hot Fuzz, people think of the big singles and they forget that, you know, it's not all gold, um, is this it? Yeah. Oh, dear. oh, oh dear. you put them back to back as albums. Absolutely. Hot Fuzz and, and, and is this it? Yeah. Um, so I like this song. I think <laughs> it's, not, it's not one of my favourites, but um, I think it's a solid inclusion. I like how... I've put gnarly and snarly, he sounds. Uh, Judy and Casablanca's voice doesn't annoy me. I, I quite like how detached she can sound. And sometimes it's almost going between, you know, sort of singing and speak singing. And um, the interplay between the bass and guitars going up and down, I quite like. And, and the drums building to the end, uh, I, I do like. However, I had never thought about the lyrics. And when I went and looked at them, I was like, holy fucking cow. Yeah, like I said, this is an incel anthem it's basically leave me alone i'm in control girls like too much boys act too tough enough is enough she was on basically she was on the minds of other men he's gonna let you down like this is a spiteful little shit of a man yeah (laughs) basically and i I was just like wow i i really had not thought about it because yeah all i all i thought about was yeah take it or leave it or take it um another song that you've picked later the chorus annoys me but for this one it 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 doesn't at all you don't feel like when you hear lyrics like that and just think about them, it's like they put they they put so little of themselves out there. Like they reveal so little about like what they're about. Like, you know, and again, I've listened to a lot of the strokes. Like, do I get where he's coming from? You know, bands that I really love, like, you know, people say, you know, a really good like Dylan album, something like Blood and the Tracks is like, People love that because you can hear his soul and you can hear his weakness and like, you know, really good music allows you to be quite like vulnerable and frail. And that's where you, you go from sort of like liking a band and hearing it on the, in the radio as like pop music, do, 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 to like forming a connection with the artist. That's true of a great painting as much as it is like a film, as a novel, as a song. If you're judging it as art, there is no vulnerability from the strokes in any way, shape or form, ironic or unironic, like musically or, or otherwise. There's no big risk they go about like, oh, my God, no strokes album has come out and someone's gone like, 
oh god you know i wonder what mum's gonna think about this she thinks like oh how many nice little rock songs you know like and and that yeah <sighs> take it or leave it in cell <laughs> anthem yeah I, yeah sure it is yeah it's well, yeah, I think Fran and I have have well similar similar slightly different opinions. But yeah, Fran, what what do you feel? I guess the only controversial song was cut when it was just New York City Cops, and that's the only sort of like naughty. Well, I guess it was cut because of nine eleven, wasn't it? But the so the line is they ain't punky. too smart. Yeah, I mean that that really stuck it to them, you know. But yeah, that, that's the worst thing that's been said about New York cops. Then. Uh, yeah. Is that still banned in America? Because I know they, had, they, they changed the cover because the hand and glove was too risque. And then they removed mm-hmm. New York City cops because of 9 11. Yeah, because of 9 11. Yeah. ever being restored. Because the album cover in America is fucking terrible. It's boring as hell. Yeah. It's very um, sort of Nathan Barley controversial. Like, oh, a bum. You know, like, <laughs> you know, is this it? <laughs> See what we did there? You know. I would agree with that. Um, on, on lyrics, honestly, I think. For sure, good lyrics elevate a band for me, but I don't need good lyrics to enjoy music. I, I yeah. really connect with music and it takes me absolutely bloody ages um, to, to sometimes actually work out what the lyrics are. And even, even sometimes what the melody of the singer is, you know, it's happened to me so many times when I've gone to sing, sing karaoke, where I'm like, I know this melody. No, you know the chorus and you, you listen to the guitars and bass and that's it. So... I I kind of I am happy to take the strokes as, as face value of of rich hipster boys in that respect because the that some of their music is good so it, it doesn't bother me yeah. too much but I was surprised okay. by these lyrics nonetheless I think that Julian says at a time that um could people complain they couldn't hear his lyrics and he said that his vocals are as important as all of the other instruments so they're all mixed at the same level so maybe he doesn't think that his lyrics are that important himself. Maybe you know he's he just enough, enough instrument or they're not. No one's gonna have like any like Strokes lyrics tattooed in their arm or like you're not gonna get a Strokes book of like poetry, are you? <laughs> it's true, but I guess um, your next track has some interesting lyrics. It's got lyrics. Um, <laughs> wow, uh, the next track is Razorblade, and um, I think like probably typifies like. Uh, what I think about that album and maybe middle period strokes is like uh, they let the guitarist show off for a bit. It's like, you know, do something twiddly and then the rest of the band fill in the gaps. It's like the first two albums sounded a bit like a band. From that point onwards, it's like guitarist, you're pretty good. Babs, it's always hard to work out who is playing the lead in the songs. Like, is it Albert? Is it Yeah, Nick, Nick? I, I haven't... Um... I haven't analysed this enough. Like I haven't gone to see enough live uh, videos of theirs and I, I haven't seen them live though, though. I would like to, like, were they, Fran, mm. just quickly, were they the kind of band that play exactly the songs as on the album or was there a bit, you know, of, of extra twiddliness and interaction? Um, there's no like guitar solos. Um, it, the, the, some of the tracks sound a bit more punky at times, but I don't know if that's just because they're bored of their first album. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, it's not as if, you know, they're, um, breaking it down for you know a reggae section or anything it's pretty much what you expect them to sound like to be term. fair Julian's vocals sometimes it's like he screams rather than sings but it may be all, I think in 2004 he's pretty much still a drinker so uh, mm. you know that may have affected his uh, his um, you know stage for some reason and I don't know why I always presume like the 
the higher guitar is Nick Valencia and the lower Albert Hammond Jr. But I might be wrong. And I haven't listened that much to Albert Hammond Jr. solo stuff. Um, so yes, I'm not quite sure, but on this song, Adam, I will agree with you. This is this is a weaker one from from the album. I usually skip it, and the the chorus is annoying. Oh no, my feelings are more important than yours. And it, it's like taunting almost. But so, even there's yeah. no melody to the chorus. It's like Razor Blade. You know, it's like. Are you aware of the song na, Mandy? By Rod Stewart. The dope. The, the chorus starts off singing Mandy. Yeah, it Again, is. Again, now yeah. I do. <laughs> so the final track, Adam. Uh, the final track, but I was just thinking, like I've really not been persuaded anyway about the strokes. Uh, is whatever happened, which is um, not much to say about. It's sort of like a drudge, really, of of a song. Um, I tried to pick something that I felt really typified the second album. Uh, and like this is like right in the middle, you know. Reptilia clearly a high point, a really nice little guitar song, proper little guitar hero, a little bit of fun there. And on bass, great. Yeah, and that's the one you want to see live. The rest of that album is just. I think, I think what was maybe people liked about like the first album was like quite like upbeat, 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 upbeat song after song after song, and like. The second album is like, I am trying to get through this is what I feel like lyrically, musically, where the like, yeah, got nothing to offer. I'm not saying I don't like slow music. It's just that I like, it's not energetic in any way. I guess this is kind of like the strokes by numbers and being the, f- the opening track, it was maybe like a, don't <laughs> worry guys. We're still the strokes. This is what, yeah. you, this is what you, you've come to expect. Um, yeah, I've always, you know, I wouldn't skip, I wouldn't skip it because it's uh, it's the strokes being the strokes. And back in the day, that was fine. Um, I hadn't heard the song for maybe I mean, 18 years. Um, yeah, it's definitely not a standout. I, but I think, yeah, when I was, when, it, when the album came out, because it had maybe some more slower moments, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more. It felt like there were, kind of not doing the same album again looking back they probably were but i also think that for me reptilia and 1251 are my favorite songs by the strokes so i kind of like this album a little bit more but i think what this album has that the other one doesn't is synths yeah and that's why i really like this song and and yeah i mean you were talking about it being an album opener i really can't disassociate this from being the opener to the second album which i enjoy right so for me i'm like yes of course it's a good song because it's the beginning of every on fire and it was interesting what you were saying about just to bring it back quickly take it or leave it being the album closer because i think actually I didn't have Is This It on CD for ages. I had downloaded most of it off Kazaa, but <laughs> Alone Together and Trying Your Luck, I only listened to years later. And still to this day, I have no idea what the album track is. The, uh, the album track listing is, whereas Room on Fire, I bought it and listened to it and, and know the order and everything. So I actually have quite a different relationship in that respect with the first two albums, despite liking them both. Um, I, I think... Yeah, I, I quite like the synths. He's being a bit more gnarly in his voice again. And it's another kind of good short ending. Strokes are good at this. Like it, it, they kind of, sometimes you're not expecting a song to end and it does. But once again, I will agree that I do not know what the hell this is about. And I've got another little snippet. Uh, did they offend us? And they want it to sound new. Top 10 ideas for countdown shows. Whose culture is this? And does anyone know? 
I wait and tell myself life ain't chess. Beautiful, Julian. Yeah. I mean, is he talking about chess the musical? Who knows? I assume he writes a look, something I'd actually know. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. They go for those like, the music too. quite obvious metaphors. Like they, they like a metaphor and it likes it's quite like if you handed a lot of those metaphors in in a poetry class, uh, they'd be like, you need to find something that's a more original metaphor. You need to find something that hasn't been used as like an image too much, like calling a song razor blade. It's like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by this? <laughs> yeah, it's all quite on the nose. There's something a bit, like the gnarliness is really interesting because I was just thinking like, the, the gnarliness, when he gets quite gnarly, it really reminds me of Pavement. Like, that's, like, the closest, like, thing there. And, like, when you listen to Pavement, old Steve gets a bit gnarly, and you're like, I means it. He's grumpy about something, and I've seen them live, and like, that's it. And it's like, you feel like with the strokes, Julian's putting that gnarliness in there because he thinks that's how people should sing rather than he's really got to be in his body well, about something. Not not to try to keep bringing you on, Adam, but Pavement and one of those bands, I, I was a huge fan of the Vimes and they kept getting compared to Pavement. And every time I've tried to listen to Pavement, I'm like, I don't get it and I don't like this band. So I, I think I need, I need uh, an intro guide there as well. Okay, I can give you that. And But like, <laughs> actually, there's, there's a real like distinct line between pavement and the strokes and like they are clearly a band who has come afterwards and like pavement have gone you can sing like this your guitars can sound a bit like this and strokes have done that but simplified it completely all of the crazy like side side bits to go off of do you think about the strokes influenced any american bands because like the influence obviously that the libertines we had with our how we dress and uh, the cuba temple clause to you know being a gang mentality became a popular thing but i can't really think of many american bands who came out sounding like the strokes really there's a lot of bands had the but apart from that i bet they have influenced millions of bands they're just like they'd never really got anywhere because like if you heard bands that sound a bit like the strokes you would go, they sound like a good support band, you know. But I think I think the White Stripes came out at the same time. I think influenced more bands than... Yeah, than, more, yeah. And, and more influenced by blues uh, and, and other things as well. Um, we got a lot of duos and, yeah, a lot of blues rock sort of came out. But, um, yeah, the Strokes, I think maybe their image uh, was copied more than their sound to a lot of bands. Yeah. But perhaps, yeah. you know you like the synth version on this. Do you like their mm. latter albums? So not really, but I've never, I think since Angles, I don't know if I've sat down and listened to an album beginning to end. Uh, I think every time I've tried, I'm like, nah, this isn't for me. Although I think I did save, was it Drag Queen from the EP from 2016? But I have not listened to it in a while. I think that's it. So I think that's the only post angle song I have saved on Spotify. So uh, so we asked a question, uh, the Strokes, Babs overrated or underrated it's it's a difficult one for me um because I, I think there's many layers to consider here are they overrated from this playlist no i wouldn't say so because i enjoy quite a few songs it, you know they're not my favorite songs apart from duke's box but i enjoy quite a few songs um did they deserve to be as big even with them with the me enjoying their first albums as much as i did maybe not you know maybe you know as we discussed kind of image had a lot to do with it and there were more innovative bands but I think ultimately for me because 
I was new into this type of rock. I didn't hear pavement. I didn't hear anything else because I didn't know it then. For me, that it's kind of like the original, right? And this is what happens every generation. You know, it's like people discover something and they're like, whoa, this whole new genre. And the old people are like, you fucking idiot. Come and listen to some, you know, Genesis or whatever it is. Um, so I, I'm going to say not overrated because I, I think just personally, especially the early stuff, I, I really loved and I'm really glad I went around the world. What about you? You know how the Stone Roses are held as like one of the best bands of all time but that yeah. isn't that mainly because they did two albums and then fucked off so well and mostly they're held for their first album yeah, exactly. well, right so yeah. if the stone roses had stayed together and made worse and worse albums as it went along they'll be maybe seen as being you know like that's another 90s indie band i think if the strokes had quit in 2005 forever they would still be seen as being this amazing band Sadly, because they've released, you know, subpar albums over the past 10 years, I do think they're now probably overrated because it shows that they had a spark of brilliance and now they're just, you know, relying on those first albums for the set list. And when you do see them live, I saw them in 2011, it will still, it's just it, basically. I mean, <laughs> and you've got to move on shortly from that. So I, for that reason, I would say they're overrated. Adam? Well, we know what you're going to choose. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I know you know what I'm going to say, but um, putting aside too many personal subjective feelings, do I think that they are a good band? Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a good band. Do I think they are overrated, like based on how much people love them and how much praise they get versus other bands. I think they are literally the dif- dictionary definition of overrated. They are like square bullseye overrated. I will come with my, the stat that I always like to come with, which is how many Spotify monthly listeners they have. They've got 9 million, 9, 9.8 million monthly listeners, which is a lot. That's a lot. Uh, it is a lot. And um, I'm, I'm looking at their last album, the most played song on that, which is called The Adults Are Talking, has 117 million listens. So people, despite what you're saying, it's interesting because people are still listening to them. They are still listening to to the newest stuff. And I think for a lot of fans, it isn't just Last Night uh, and and Reptilia as well, because Last Night and Reptilia are the two most played songs um, on there. When you look at the most played songs, it does cover the 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 broad gamut so yeah it's it's interesting this division of the strokes between yeah the first two albums and onwards good luck to them (laughs) good luck to the boys so the strokes do you think they're overrated i would love to hear them do one more brilliant album but who can say and now for an advert see you after the break do you like music? Do you like podcasts? Do you like your hosts that are slightly eloquent with their words and well spoken and articulate them in a perfect way? Then you can find two out of those three things on Pick a Disc. I'm your host Matt Latham and each fortnight a guest comes onto the podcast to talk about an album that they want to talk about for whatever reason they want to. We talk about the artists, we talk about the songs and we also talk about the album and we never talk about the artwork because I always forget. Other than that, we always talk about the good things and why people like what they like and you'll find that a lot in Pick a Disc. So find us on all your favourite podcatchers of choice and I look forward to finding out the discs that you're picking. Underrated. For your next choice, Adam, who are we 
going to be discussing? Uh, we're going to be discussing the Hold Steady from also from America. Why would you deem them as underrated? Um, I don't know. Well, I do know. I, I know in a lot of reasons why. I feel like the Hold Steady, Steady, the Hold Steady write really special songs, like really special music. Like they put a lot of their heart and soul thought into the songs and into who they are as a band. Like there are some bands that genuinely want to have a bit of a movement behind them and like Hold Steady come with like ideas, philosophy, and they're just, you just want to love them. Like I listened to their music a lot before I saw what they looked like. And then I saw these like <laughs> weird looking blokes um, in their sort of like, you know, awkward fitting clothes. And I was just like, absolutely love these guys. Absolutely love them. Like they tell these beautiful stories from like weird little small American towns about like losers and like then it sort of mixed with their sort of religious uh, imagery and beautiful sort of poetic thoughts borrowed from literature, all mixed in with like really weird little bits of wordplay and jokes and stuff like that. So they're sort of both witty and then like, you know, you think this is a silly witty song and then it like really catch you off guard and like really like hit you right in the heart and all of that going on. Like it's just so rich as music and it's just what I love about alternative music that makes me feel okay to be a goofball a loser, you know, and, and I, I love the Hold Steady. Um, I would love them. And, and, you know, as far as going underrated, while they have, you know, very dedicated fan base, like they absolutely have this sort of epicness in their sound where they could be headlining Coachella, you know, or like, why not put them headlining Glastonbury? Like that's, they've got that as a band, like they feel as memorable to me to be deserving of that. So yeah, Adam, when, when I found out that it was going to be Hold Steady, I thought, oh no, because... I remember listening to them and not liking them, but I, I had not thought about them in, in years and years. And when I was saying to friends like, oh, you know, next podcast record is going to be the whole study and I don't like them. They were like, why? And I said, I actually don't know because I can't remember. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, good that I have a chance to kind of uh, listen to your playlist again. But before I went to listen to your playlist, I wanted to just, you know, sort of skim their Wikipedia page. And I saw that they were partly classified as Heartland Rock. Uh, which is exemplified by songwriters like Tom Petty, Bob Seger, Bruce Springsteen, yep. or people who I don't like. Okay. So I thought, oh, no. <laughs> but okay. then I saw that they were noted for the lyrically dense storytelling. So I was like, okay, definitely on this. Let's go in hard on, on the lyrics. And I, I really want to pay attention. And I'm glad that I did. But that was, that was just the mindset that I went in with, which was, yeah, not entirely positive. So I'll, I'll just say that. I remember them coming out in the mid-noughties out of nowhere and then like Uncut Magazine and Q banking <laughs> yeah. away over them. They couldn't get enough of uh, the whole study. And it seemed to be like a, like a, a small sort of um, scene of Heartland-style bands. Was it like um, the gas the Gaslight Anthems? Yeah. Similar Bruce Springsteen um, yeah. loving bands. And it seemed to be a, like a wave coming over. And I think like maybe Frank Turner was kind of, you know, influenced by yeah. that sort of scene, you know, like the, you know, storytelling, real rock and roll. Um, so but I I didn't love 
was it was it Boys and Girls in America? Was that the big album that came over first? Yes, it was uh, it wasn't. Well, it was their third album, but yeah, 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 the first the like, UK group. known. To, and uh, but I saw them, I think at Isle of Wight Festival and uh, 2010, and I was bowled over because they're fucking brilliant live, and I love the song. What's we're going to mention later on because I do like Tom Petty, I do like Bruce Springsteen, I do love a piano in rock and roll music. And yeah. they have all those ingredients. For some bizarre reason, I've never really tried to get into them since 2010. So it's been a, an enjoyable ride. So uh, what was your first track, Adam? Uh, first track is possibly possibly one of my favourites by The Hold Steady. Uh, it's Stuck Between Stations. I don't know if it's my favourite, but it's definitely the first song I've ever heard by them. And... I was just won over from that. I, it, it didn't take much, like probably even within the first couple of choruses, like you have piano that feels like an amazing kind of like peak era Elton John piano. You have these lovely bits of guitar that, yeah, have got like that kind of classic rock vibe. In it. The lyrics are ridiculous and they are all over the place. And then, like, you think it's this little, like, storytelling thing. And then, like, they've got these, like, little nice pairs of lyrics. Like, um, she was a real cool kisser, but she wasn't all that strict of a Christian. She was a damn good dancer, but she wasn't all that great of a girlfriend. Which, you know, as a, as a couplet, is just lovely. And it's, like, you know, probably at the same time I was studying writing at university. And I was in the lookout for, like, things that made sense of all of the rules they were trying to teach me. And they were like all of these rules of like, you know, do you have to exactly say what you mean, which is what the strokes are, or can you find a more interesting way to say the same thing? And like, that's what the Hold Steady do. They have fun with language and it takes you to really interesting places. And like, they talk about characters and you think like, oh God, I know someone like that. Or, you know, they talk about situations and you go like, oh God, I've been there and I can feel that. And that's what... I get with like stuck between stations which is like it's only like a four minute song but it's got like a break in the middle a guitar solo and then the oh god you just want to see it live because it's like this like adventure as a song it's it's so good and it's the first track on what you mentioned earlier boys and girls in america was that the, the album you first heard that was the first album i heard mm. and full disclosure and this is just my personal opinions it is my favorite album of all time uh, is Boys and Girls in America by The Hold Steady. I think like it's it's perfect. There's probably like a couple of other albums I've put up there with that, but again, because it is a purely personal thing, that's probably my favorite album. So, uh, perhaps. <laughs> so you yeah, agree? I'm, okay. I'm very I'm very sorry, Adam. It's fine. Uh, it started with melodic guitars and tinkly piano. I put no. That's not a combination I like. And I, I held off on saying anything because we talked about Julian Casablancas's voice. I think his voice sounds terrible underneath all the instrumentation. I like it is absolutely drowned out by all the instruments. I can't hear what he's saying. And I don't really like it. I, I prefer he does a bit more speak singing when the song goes yeah. on, and I prefer that. But this one and on a couple of others, I'm like, there's way too much going on here. Um, on the lyrics, you picked up the exact couplet that I did. It's fantastic. Like, and even the title stuck between stations, you can visualize it. Yeah. You, know, it, it, you can visualize it. It can be very metaphorical. So 
for sure I would pick up a book of hold steady poetry but music wise unfortunately it's just it's really not my bag <laughs> Fran so it's interesting that the line I chosen was there slacking off each other at demonstrations making sure to make up straight <laughs> this may say something about me uh, <laughs> oh, good. Um, so Craig refers to himself as a storyteller rather yeah. than a songwriter yeah it says a lot about the band uh, um yeah and he doesn't is it mainly third person the songs is it yeah is it yeah, yeah 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 and he mentions because uh, he's a catholic isn't he he, he brings up yeah. religion and uh, drugs quite often there's a lot of that yeah a lot of a lot of that stuff um yeah his is he a singer i kind of put him with eddie argos from art group in his in I, his delivery i they have toured a, together a lot yeah do they oh really two. yeah they did a big tour together for a while actually i wanted to see it but i didn't this is you know like if, if i could think of a stroke song i'd think of last night if i could think of a whole steady song i'd, I'd choose this because this has all of the things you expect from a whole steady track it's got you know that glorious piano and you know um brilliant guitars and you know and like this sort of like his uh his fast almost rapping delivery <laughs> white boy yeah. rap maybe so yeah so i i enjoyed it and uh and yeah i um yeah, i think listening to, to this album again uh i also think that this is a a glorious album but it's not their biggest selling album i think is stay positive their biggest selling album i think yeah 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 but that just rode i think that that rode the wave they already had to be honest like mm-hmm. they'd already been like well established by that point so you know, uh, who, who's oh. credited with giving them and like one of the, like who was like their big advocate for a long time uh this might this might this might actually add something to the mix maybe oh, this actually, take I, think, some I think i know this is it our friend Harry Potter? Yes, it is Daniel Radcliffe. Was like a massive Hold Steady fan. Um, Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> not the reason I loved them, but it was quite interesting. Like you know, because he was like, "I'm a grown up, and I like listening to cool things, and I like the Smiths, and I like this," and wanted to really like make it clear he was a cool guy, not just like an actor. And uh, yeah, he came out and said, "I love the Hold Steady. You should listen to them." Uh, quite weird. So I'm not going to take any instructions from you, Harry Potter. But yeah, you're right. What's your next pick? Um, my next pick is going to be another track from Boys and Girls in America. I resisted picking just five tracks from Boys and Girls in America. And I think like it's uh, You Can Make Him Like You, which is interesting. That they don't have this sort of like bitter sweetness about them that I sort of find in this song. And it's a real like uh, hug of a song and it's got some real sort of like, I don't know, it's just got, it's quite a lovely song. Like the sentiment of it, the lyrics again, it's sort of like this, you know, they have this positivity that's like their vibe, their brand almost. Um, and, you know, you can make him like you really get, you know, and they are a band that probably, disclaimer, you do want to be getting into them when you're young. Um, and there's something about like, it speaks to that kind of like not understanding the world when you're young and you know all of those great bands that every generation has had one of them like god they 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 get straight through to it and they no nonsense sort of like smushiness sometimes but um it's also got it's got it's banging musically like it's quite fun i want to dance to this and like like some bands as well like you make a bit of a dick of yourself when you go to him live because you've got your hand in the air and you're like yes 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 and that's what i get with with um you can make him like you um 
when I first read the lyrics, I was, I was hoping that it's sarcastic um, because <laughs> you could really take them the wrong way. I mean, I've been dumped by a girl having a crap car. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I share the pain. Uh, <laughs> Babs, what's your thoughts? Um, so the guitars are a bit more miserable here, which is what I prefer because just yeah, happy clappy guitars are, are not for me. But whatever the organ is and the chorus, I really don't like it. I really don't like the earnest piano, but I, I do prefer it. And I, I, I've made notes on this later on. When it's just guitar and drums, I quite like it. It, it, it is the everything else. I, I think there's too much going on musically for me. And especially when you have, you know, his voice and the lyrics on top of it. Um, yeah there's that but I I love I love the lyrics and yeah I, I find it just extremely sophisticated and kind of the elderly aren't telling a girl you know there's always other boyfriends there's always other scenes I, I thought I was incredibly original and nice but yeah, yeah once again lyrics yes music no <laughs> I put down it needs more friends so uh, I'm the opposite uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a really nice it's a really catchy piano line in the chorus but it's like buried yeah. and I would love to hear that more no, thank you. <laughs> it's got such an, I like the energy that comes with that though. But like those lyrics, like, um, you don't have to deal with the dealers, that your boyfriend deal with the dealers. Mm. It's so, it's kind of, it is a little bit funny, but also in kind of a bit of sweet um, way. Yeah. You can wear his old sweatshirt. You can cover yourself like a bruise. Like bloody hell. That's, that's got a lot going on, isn't it? That's quite, that's, that's visual, those lyrics. That's lovely. Um, Babs, have you ever seen the whole study? Um, um, no, on TV or... I, I have not until I googled it. But I did enjoy the description of uh, their bio on Spotify because it's, it opens like this: "The Hold Steady didn't sound like any other band who emerged from Brooklyn in the two thousands. Fashion wasn't their one of their concerns for one." <laughs> so that made, yeah. that made me laugh. Like, isn't yeah? They they do seem much more much more normal, much less slick in a, in a positive way. I mean, I love the contrast between the two bands we've discussed, mm. you know, fashion-wise and, and looks. You know, one <laughs> band is all about how you know, the, the image and how cool they are, and then Whole Steady is not at all about how they look. And you know, these are guys who yeah. go and read the the article because I I didn't I didn't uh, put this, oh no no I did put this out. So the article that Franz Nikolai wrote about the Meet Me in the Bathroom book, he's so one of the blind spots he was talking about yeah the image, and he says that he really dislikes in the book how there's this binary between acts from Manhattan versus those in Brooklyn. Uh, so he says like, okay, the Manhattan bands are like sexy, coke sweating, old school, lower East style rock stars. But Brooklyn bands uh, are a caricature of sexless, pretentious, dressed down uncle kids, very technical musicians who don't really present themselves as rock stars and are bright, more grounded uh, and more practically minded. And I think that definitely is the contrast between these two bands. And is, is he pissed off about how they were represented? I, I can barely remember the whole study of that book. So the difference is like, you know, if you think about like this 2000s rock and sort of why I was picking those two as a band, as, as like a contrast, like the whole study had been going, like I said, for years and were lift a puller. And like their influences, maybe more in the hold steady were sort of Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty and like other classic rock stuff. But Lift a Puller sound more like grungier, Dinosaur Junior, Minutemen, um, Super Chunk, you know, that sort of like flannel shirt wearing guitar rock there. Um, and it's very insanely lo-fi. Um, and so, like, yeah, that that Brooklyn vibe is like 
these are these people who would just have for years been doing like tiny tiny shows to no one and then sort of like the indie scene becomes popular and they find themselves in the scene but they're like you know we we weren't we've just been doing our thing for ages and this just happens to be popular now mm. that's what they're like so they've not been ready or used to you know looking cool because they've presumably been doing their office jobs or whatever since then you know uh, yeah, i think um i think the, the least thing was uh working in finance in, up until <laughs> and he told he, he refused to tell people that he played guitar in case they looked at him worse for being a, a musician it was like the worst thing you could be in finance don't mean to be taken seriously yeah, yeah um, i could imagine that so your next choice adam is going to be knuckles uh from their debut album um and this is a song that goes around uh, a lot um, and again, it's, you know, that third person or whatever. And he's talking about presumably is a fictional character or like um, an amalgamation of maybe people that he does know. But this character uh, has lots of nicknames. Uh, and so it starts like I've been trying to get people to call me Freddie Knuckles. People keep call, calling me right said Fred, which is, is, is again, like as, as far as like opening couplets go, that's really I mean, that's funny. And that, that continues throughout. Like, I've been trying to get people to call me Freddie Mercury. People keep calling me Drop Dead Fred. And you go like, okay, this band have just referenced Freddie Mercury, who everyone knows, and the film Drop Dead Fred featuring Rick Mayo, which uh, I love as a film, but for uh, American people is generally considered a flop or a terrible film. Um, it's quite a, a, a niche reference maybe to put in there. Um, and then, like, it evolves to be a story about, like, someone who boasts about all of the people he's killed, but that's just lies. This is just a story about someone who, like, loves b- boasting and being the centre of attention when really it's all, like, sort of shallow claims. But I love the way that evolves throughout the song and he sort of gives you a misdirection. I love how it sort of plods in this, like, sort of slightly silly way. Even, like, the keyboard sound sounds a bit, like, silly. And I like those bands like that. Like, I don't know if you know Atom and his package, but I like that sort of like, this sounds like it's been done in his bedroom kind of like synth. It's it's really different to like those songs in Boys and Girls in America. Like it sounds a bit more homemade, but it was their first album, I suppose. Um, but it's just bloody daft and I love it. Yeah, I, I think this is maybe the best track I've heard by Hold Steady. I mean, you know, yeah some of our age to to have you know like I said stop dead fred uh yeah <laughs> said like white said red and sunny d all mentioned this a beautiful yeah, thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently I, I read that um he knew someone who'd always try and be um uh, try and get people to call him diamond dave and it never worked and that's where it came from you know with people who go to university and try and you know, bring on yeah this new persona by yeah. wearing shades yeah and that's where he got the idea from and like for some reason when he's in bands in the 90s there's always a guy who'd call him fred pissed him off and that's where you got the whole thread idea for ah. um interesting i think it's, it's it's written by himself and usually he uh co-writes with the uh guitar player yeah or oh, the keyboardist. Yeah. so maybe that's why it's got a different feel to the other tracks um i also love the uh the keyboard fuzz i think it's brilliant um if it, it feels more like a post-punk track than like a classic rock of like you know yeah to your spring scene to me and uh yeah i i I saved this to my Spotify, so you know, can't be too bad. I also much preferred this to uh, to the first two songs. Um, I much prefer his voice here, and the lyrics 
they made me laugh immediately. Like uh, they they yeah, connected with me on an immediate level. Um, and I, I quite like how the synths interplay with the guitar and drums. But then by the second verse, the instrumentation builds again. And then I stop liking it. It's just, yeah, once again, clearly this is my issue with them. I'm like, stop trying to throw everything but the kitchen sink at it. Like actually sometimes less less is more for, for me anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I did like this one far more than the first two. This is musically closer to, and no big surprise, closer to Lifter Puller, the band they did before. Mm. Ah, sure. I'd never heard of Lifter Puller. So yeah, it might be worth checking out. Are they hard to get hold of? Are they on Spotify? Uh, I think they're on Spotify now. It was a real treat for me. Like when I first found out about Lifter Puller, they, they 10 years ago were much more difficult to find on the internet. Um, they're, they're, it's, it is very much a band. Like they're finding out what the whole steady is and some of it's good. Some of it's very boring, but it's more guitar-y, Bab, so you'll be pleased there's less synth and dramatic piano going on. It sounds a, a synth, bit more like a grunge band. Synth is fine. Earnest piano is what I, what I don't like. Yeah, Elton John piano yeah, is not a good that. thing for me. So. <laughs> yes, none of that going on, yeah. I, also, there isn't in, there's two Hold Steady albums that I've not picked any tracks off of, and they are sans piano, um, right. like the middle period. Their pianist left and came back, um, but there's a good chunk where there isn't one. So maybe you like that. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I also, I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but Franz Nikolai, I read, uh, was named the number one accordionist in punk rock for his work in other bands, which I was, yeah, surprised oh, to see right. and surprised that I couldn't hear any accordion on these songs. So clearly they, yeah, they, they go into a lot of different genres. He's the best moustache in punk rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he wears a bowie better than most people I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard that um, Craig, he had given up on music and then he sort of drive by truckers and thought, hang on, I, I, we can still do this. There's room for a classic rock band in the noughties. It wasn't being done. Yeah, and, that's yeah. why he, and that's why he started again, because otherwise he basically given up on music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that makes sense. Yeah, I love all of those other bands as well around that same sort of time. That makes sense. There's like loads of great stuff in the noughties that's you know, Americana influenced by classic rock. Wilco is another one of my big favourite bands and you could put mm-hmm. Wilco next to Hold Steady. There's some shaking of the head there from bands, Yeah, well, but, yeah. you mentioned Fleet Foxes before. I was like, oh yeah, no, these are, these are. You used yeah. to get like Lamb Chop as well, isn't that sort of uh, yeah. end of the road festival sort of playlist, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ardigan Rock. Over underrated. Sous évalué. So your next track is... Uh, No, the next track is Banging Camp, and this is from uh, their second album, Separation Sunday. Uh, If I were recording this at home right now, I'd show you my lovely all-white vinyl of Separation Sunday, which is uh, very proud of. It's a concept album, and Separation Sunday is a concept album (laughs) <laughs> which is trying to marry the two lyrical loves of the whole steady, which is basically drugs and Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they do it with, through this fictional character, Holly, sometimes called Hallelujah. Um, and like Banging Camp is sort of like right in the middle of the album. Uh, and again, why do I love it? Because it's got a catchy little riff. Uh, it's got some silly little synth 
um, messiness going on, which I'm sure Babs loves. And, um, and then the lyrics tell this bizarre little story which unfolds, which is, yeah, about Holly and her exploits, starting again with those, you know, lyrics that draw you in, like the first great line of a book. Holly wore a string around her finger. She said it helps her to remember all the nights that we got over. Decided ties her outfit all together. Oh, there we go. In, straight in. It's a little story. Who's Holly? What's this? What? I still don't really understand a lot of it, but I'm, I love it. I kind of thought it's the lady who's got a past who keeps getting pushed down into temptation. I just can't keep helping herself, you know, meeting up with men and, you know, I guess doing drugs, but, you know, wants to move on. That's what I, what I got from it, Babs. Uh, well, you know, as technically a Catholic myself, but you know, uh, in culture's name only, that makes a lot more sense if you're saying that they're Catholic because yeah, there's a lot of like, oh, sin and the cross. Yeah, I, th- I think it's absolutely filmic, the, the lyrics to this song, because I, I read it as either, you know, someone who's, you know, a bit wild and, and feels conflicted about it or someone who's taken advantage of because when when it says she was shaky, but still trying to shake it half naked and three quarters wasted, she was completely alone. I was like, well, that's a bit, you know, uh, drugs in the drink sort of thing. Uh, and and yeah, absolutely lapped up the lyrics, but musically my least favorite song, I think I, I called it Bad Art Brute because the one thing I did like <laughs> was the speak singing, um, but just the the guitars and the ending with the brass. No, thank you. See, I like a false ending and we have a false mm. ending. So but um, I the think brass, that, yeah, killed it for me. I think the second half personally was better than the first half. The first half is kind of more of a simple two chord rock tune. And then by the time the second half comes in, I, it, when all the other guitars, I think it steps up a gear. Um, I want more Franz. I'm missing him. Unfortunately. <laughs> Again, bring back the Franz. So I, yeah, I enjoyed it. And it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a dark, uh, interesting story. And because when I do this podcast, I would probably be even for about the looks at all but because we look into it I always kind of enjoy discovering some some you no know, some great writing and yeah um I would definitely uh, check out this album if it's a concept album also so you did what three albums in three years um Adam is that correct I don't know about the numbers of it yeah I suppose that sounds about right boom, boom, I mean they're boom. pretty prolific because mm. even like there's lots of hold steady albums and then there's some Craig Finn solo stuff in between and then there's lift to puller like there's a if if you like, you know, and this is let's face it, a podcast for music nerds. It is a good band to deep dive into. You get your value for money with the hold steady. The strains also about you know Minneapolis is kind of a an, an uncool location to have some amazing people from. You know, like Lizzo, Prince, the placement yep. hold steady. It's kind of random, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know where it is in the map, but I know a lot about it from the songs because they mention it a lot. Yeah, I think it's a city of contrast, isn't it? Like, I think it has this very big underground scene, but like, it's also, I, I, I don't think the city, but the surrounding area quite conservative. So, yeah, maybe that's what, that yeah. what makes a uh, good art. They're talking a lot about like, you know, kids going skating and listening to punk and all ages shows and like hardcore music. And it's like, yeah again like trying to find like music that you relate to as a kid like all of my friends were goths and metalheads and and losers and stuff like that and like just like all your friends you are know. losers that's good to know. Yeah, yeah 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 and you know I, I i got these like lyrics of people who are sort of like yeah trying to figure out their life and sort of living in small towns and feeling quite lost and it's like you know that's that's what real life is a bit more like and um 
you know, for a band to be singing that, that's, you know, yeah, that's what you want to hear as you like festival anthem, that sort of stuff, rather than like, yeah, this feeling that, yeah, everything is all Hollywood and, and shiny. Small town life, real small town life. That's the, that's probably the absolute sort of Bruce Springsteen connection with that is like, Bruce Springsteen is like those people you know who work normal jobs and live a real life. You know, they like that. And speaking of uh, festival anthems, we have your final track. Uh, my final track, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, it is sort of anthem and like possibly, it's like not, not like my favourite Hold Steady song, Stay Positive, that's the name of the song, um, at all. But there's something about it and I think what it represents, it's like weird to imagine. It comes in quite late in their career, like their fourth album, but it feels like they've sort of feel like they've earned the right to do something that's just out and out their philosophy and what they believe in. There's a lot about like, the whole steady world that doesn't like marry with who I am as a person. I'm not religious. Uh, I don't take drugs, um, but I I'm, I'm, I'm love like straight edge culture. I don't drink, smoke, eat meat and um, that sort of stuff. And I'm a big fan of like, like my personal philosophy is like someone who makes stuff is about like being productive, doing stuff, you know, pushing yourself to do that. And that's sort of like self-motivation, which no sounds super cheesy. And there is like, you, you have to, you can only listen to stay positive as a song. And like the warning is in the title. Like, you know, this is going to be cheesy, like from the off, that's fine. Like some songs are just that. And there's moments in your life songs that you know are cheesy from the off like if you're going to sit down and listen to good riddance by green day you know what's well you know what's happening there you know what's happening there stay positive by hold steady i always love this as a song and um you know it was one of the really good tracks in that fourth album which you know uh, came straight after this album i absolutely adored and was just like more of the same i i i once went to see jc long live at the fringe in edinburgh and this was like her opening music she had this playing before she came on stage and um i don't i know josie a little bit well enough that i could sort of like wave at her and um and i was like yeah like this i think this is like something that you either sort of choose to believe as, as like a, a thought and i think it's like it's it's got a tongue-in-cheek like it sort of like says stay positive because it's also slightly going the world's a bit shit you know as a song it's not like stay positive like we can do this let's all clap our hands put our head in the sand it's like stay positive because you've got to you know yeah else like all of the shit has won if you don't I mean, they even reference it in the song because it says it's one thing to start with a positive jam and it's another thing to see it all through yeah which is absolutely a self um referential lyric because positive jam is the first song on the first Hold Steady album. Very nice. Isn't there other references in this song to other characters I heard? Yeah, it all sort of, they know what they're doing. Like it is like, you know, that people study Nick Cave lyrics, like Mm. they're putting stuff in there for people to go and sort of like uncover and put little gems in, like referencing back to each other. Um, I think there are a few little references to other Hold Steady songs and albums and stuff. I, uh, I love this from the first album on Jaws Holland. Um, Franz with his hand in there going, whoa, ho, ho. Yeah. I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, also, I love the interface organ, which, which 
I also like <laughs> the Walkman, the rat, and it has a very similar introduction. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I lyrically, it kind of reminds me of myself. Like it seems like he's uh, too old to be doing to hanging out with the young people doing young people things. I'm like, oh, that's me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Shall I be at this gig when everyone's twenty years old? Uh, you know, and I, I kind of enjoy that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess with the the, the chorus, so it's, it's always going to be their their only sort of like radio hit in the UK, which is probably why I know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I also remember off the album. Is it is it um something in Memphis? What's the track about Memphis? Was this really Requested in Memphis. The Quest in Memphis was another one I adore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, yeah, it's a perfect way to end the list because you know it's it's a track that um people my age will maybe know of the whole study um babs yeah, it, are you it, gonna be positive or somewhat uh the the chorus didn't leave my mind you know like once i once i heard it it was it was stuck in there from the from the first uh from the first listen um i read that craig finn says that the album's about the idea of aging gracefully and how to stay true to the ideals and ideals the ideals and ideas you had when you were younger and i love that like i do love when bands don't just write about yeah drugs sex love you know that's that's quite boring and this is clearly again so sophisticated so many good lines uh and kind of yeah i i really enjoy the the referentialness of it like you know most kids give me credit for being down with it when it was back in the day when things were way different etc etc yeah there's probably going to come a time when the scene will seem less sunny it'll probably get druggy and the kids will seem too skinny you know fran i think (laughs) that's what you were saying but I, I cannot help but give similar kind of critique, which is when it's just a riffy guitar and the drums and his voice, I like it. But when the organs come in and the melodic guitar, I, I, I switch off. But I can understand, like, I can totally understand why, why people would like this song and others, even if it doesn't shine with me. And, and yeah, again, Adam, I will go for that poetry book over the album any day of the week. And, but, but yeah. it, you know, even without the music, the lyrics are absolutely solid enough to be read alone, uh, which you really can't say of many musicians, I think. So maybe you enjoy his solo material. Is that just him and a, a guitar? But how melodic is it? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> I find it quite boring, oh. solo material. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um I think there's throwing a few horns in there for some reason. Um, yeah. The Craig Finn stuff. So maybe not. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. It's like, you know, the thing about them is like, these are a selection of the ones that I love. There's a lot that I love, especially the first four albums um, and also the last album. But um, even when on the albums I don't love as much, I never find them boring. They're always interesting. Mm. Um even if it doesn't quite hit me in the same way, like, you know, I like that classic rock vibe that uh, Boys and Girls in America has. Are you able to gauge how big we are in the UK? Like, I, I don't notice them doing UK tours. Is it maybe like a band you do like one big day in London and then go off again? They don't tour as often as no. I like. <laughs> um, they'll do a tour per album. I've seen them in like Shepherd's Bush Empire, I think. And uh in bristol i saw them in one of the smallish venues quite small venue there um (laughs) there are bands that i've always managed to get the front to it's not difficult to get to the front like they have enough they have enough followers but like i wish i wish they had more you know that's for me like when i was going through like 
who do I think is underrated? It's like, oh, that could be millions of people. But like, it was quite easy for this one to go like, yeah, Hold Steady, for me personally, should be bigger. And Babs, I guess you haven't got any bows from stats, or do you? For the... Well, uh, on overall global monthly listeners, it's quite low. It's 135,000, despite Stuck Between Stations, which is the, the biggest song on there, having 3,243,000. So, you know, is it that it's just a few songs on some playlists? Uh, but yeah, that that did surprise me on the one hand, but on the other hand, I'm like, to be honest, I I didn't like them when they first came out and I kind of haven't heard them since, you know, not knowingly. They seem to be on a Game of Thrones um, soundtrack. That is correct, yeah. And I, I'm not there, which doesn't surprise me, that, you know, the film about Bob Dylan. But yeah, if, if we're asking the question of, of are they underrated, I think for me personally, no, because if they were more overrated, I'd be listening to them more and I genuinely don't want to. If, uh, if I'm going purely on the lyrics, 100%, I think, you know... Craig Finn should find some way of, I don't know, like speaking them out or writing a book or, or something like that. But there, there's something about the Hold Steady and I don't know, similar bands like The National and other people. I'm just like, no, like why? Like when people like them, they really like them and I just don't get it. So, and, and yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> music, musically, I still didn't, even though I can appreciate the lyrics. So terribly sorry. Well, I mean, I don't know if the album's back to front. But I enjoyed all five tracks. So therefore, going by those songs, I will say they are underrated. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to the new album, and it doesn't seem to be a massive departure from the previous ones. They haven't yeah. gone down a, a dubstep uh, uh, scene yet. Um, so yeah, I will probably just listen to some more Hold Steady. So yeah, um, I'm sorry about Babs had a hard time. Okay, I, saw, I still, you know, I still enjoyed you know, this is why I love this podcast. It's like, I enjoyed being given the homework and now I can, I know more about them and and, uh, and I'm more informed and, and definitely, genuinely, like, uh, would be would be up for, for going and reading the lyrics. Can I ask you a question? Um, are they worse than Cry Little House? Ooh, I mean, no, because they have better lyrics than Cry Little House. Hey now. <laughs> that hurts. Hey now. <laughs> Hurts a little bit. But Crowded House were the most contentious so far between Fran and I. He tried to convince me they were not overrated and, and didn't manage, unfortunately. We've uh, decided that uh, un- the whole study are underrated two to three. So uh, congratulations to whole study fans. <laughs> <laughs> a win for Adam, although we did decide. Well, no, yeah, I guess, yeah, the strokes are all overrated. Yeah, I'm, I'm, although, I'm oh, outfoxed well, here today. Oh, dear. Bloody man coming in here. No. <laughs> so uh, let us know at home what your thoughts are. And uh, thank you again, Adam, for being our guest. Thank you. Where can our listeners find you? If you want to be found, it's up to you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, an old follow on Twitter is fine. I'm um, usually putting stuff there that gets one or two likes. And I'd like to up it to two to three likes. Um so yeah, uh, that's Twitter at Larty McParty. Possibly also got myself to blame a little bit there, not putting the Twitter handle as my name, but um, yeah, you can find me there uh, winding up Tory MPs and, um, you know, putting weird, confusing memes and opinions on music. Um, lots of them, lots of them. So, Babs, do you have anything else to... to uh discuss before we leave um well given that they came up 
if you really want to see Fran and I go for it, go and listen to uh, our over underrated New Zealand crowded house Lady Hawk episode. We, we you know we make nice by by the end, and uh, I think that's that's it from me, Fran. Just you know, uh, track down some of, of Adam's previous work if you can. He's a a great writer and comedian, so give it a go. Um, and I will say thank you for listening to the podcast and see you soon. See you. Bye. Thank you very much. Looking forward to hearing it. Bye. And there we go. Another episode has ended of Over Underrated. Thank you for getting this far. And don't forget you can follow us and chat to us on social media. We are OU Music Pod on Twitter and over underrated music pod on instagram don't forget to subscribe tell your friends and let us know of any bands or artists you want us to chat about until then